They were high school sweethearts that got married and had two kids. It's the Brunigs. In the swamp of D.C. they tweet all day, but that's okay. They're the Brunigs. She is a journalist. He is a wonk. Wonk, wonk, wonk. They talk about the news or whatever they want. In the fight for justice, they're on your side. You can't deny it's the Brunigs. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to our low-effort, low-quality podcast. This is Liz Brunig. This is my husband, Matt. Hello, everyone. Merry Christmas. It's uh, it's the holiday season, mm-hmm. uh, full swing. Even haters agree that now it's appropriate mm-hmm. uh, to begin celebrating Christmas. Of course, we've been in the holiday spirit for a long time here in it's the Brunig household. It's Giving Tuesday. It's also Giving Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's right. I, the, unrelated to Christmas. That's not like a 12 days of Christmas thing. Mm-mm. That's just a that's just a made up thing. Yeah, yeah. There's all these made up things. Um, people trying to like pile on. Yeah. To like, oh, because Black Friday was, yeah, was like an organic Cyber thing. Cyber Monday. Yeah, like that was an organic thing. Yeah. And then you know, oh well, you know, the day after Thanksgiving, a lot of people off work. They go to Christmas shop. Christmas shop. Oh, Black Friday. And then the small businesses, you know, those guys. Mm-hmm. They run the economy. Even, we have to talk about that. Those those people, maybe. Maybe we'll go into that. I don't know. Yeah. They came in and they're like, what about Small Business Saturday? Small Business Saturday and became you're like, a thing. Oh, God. Okay. All right. I guess, I guess I'll go buy. I don't know. I got to go find some sort of fucking tchotchke at <laughs> this local store to make a gift out of. I don't even, you go know. Go get your mom and pop paper clips. Yeah. That's a nice, that's some nice jewelry you made, I guess. You know, uh, and then um, and then they t- they they put Cyber Monday on there. Then they did Cyber Monday, and that was always really weird because it was uh I guess for a time <laughs> I think that was invented perhaps organically when people didn't have computers at home. Yeah, possibly. <laughs> and so they're like, you had to wait till Monday for work to start, so you could go in and use your work computer to buy to online shop. Yeah. But now I feel like if you're on, you, why wouldn't you online shop on Friday or? Thursday for that matter. I mean, you know, you can yeah, online shop there's anywhere. There's no explanation for why you wouldn't just online shop at your leisure. And then all the nonprofits were like, "What about Giving Tuesday? Maybe we yeah. could uh, do a Giving Tuesday thing." I do. I do want to do a Giving Tuesday shout out. Uh, in, in case our listeners are interested in getting in the spirit with a donation, if you have money uh, that you'd like to give to a worthy cause and you're interested in intellectual or cultural causes, the Boston Review. Uh, is a fantastic magazine. I'm a big fan. I've been published there. Uh, and and more importantly, I really, really like almost everything they publish. Even when I disagree with the arguments, they're fantastically edited, very smartly curated, uh, well done essays. Um, very, very meticulously argued. Too long. Always really interesting. Too long. Uh, they if you give ask me. yes, they do give their essays enough space. Um, very much Too fearless much in terms of their argumentative range. So Boston Review, great publication, Giving Tuesday, if you're interested. No paywalls ever. They I have, a, they I have one paywalls. too. Oh, God. I have one too. Very <sighs> intellectual, oh. um, uh, data-driven, 
political oh, website. It's okay. Yeah. All right. I did that actually. It's called the People's Policy okay. Project. All right. uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, peoplespolicyproject.org. Uh, you can go on the internet um, and type that into the browser peoplespolicyproject.org. Yeah, everybody, everybody already knows about your think tank. And on the right hand sidebar, you'll see donate through Patreon, donate through Act Blue, um, and support intellectual political analysis you know know no paywalls uh much shorter much shorter writing for the most part except for the long papers but there's a lot of graphics in those papers so you you know it's kind of like a picture book for adults um so try that out try that out if you haven't haven't already anyway uh uh also uh let's hit the news of today here in our hot topics segment uh, now that we've that we've uh, cleared the Giving Tuesday stuff, uh, Kamala Harris out of the race. Yeah, she had a brutal time. Uh, I think there were something like fifty on the record, but anonymous uh, sources for a New York Times article talking about how her campaign was in the shitter. So, you know, all those little all those little roaches on the campaign were all ready to scatter off at that point. And, you know, once that happens, what have you got? You kind of got to give it up, don't you? Well, we'll always uh, have the memories of her owning Biden. Yeah, then, but Biden owned her back. He was did. Like, I, I mean, was a public defender, not a prosecutor like you. Yeah, <laughs> which was really harsh. Just um, really hit her hard. He, he might have had the... Woke-ass Biden. The better own there, but it wasn't as widely... I don't, I don't think people heard it, or maybe they didn't know how yeah, to he, understand he didn't, it. He didn't deliver it well, but... Yeah, it was kind of under the under the breath. Uh, but uh, we, must, uh, we must appreciate uh, that addition. The K-High... Uh, not sure how they're going to realign, actually. Well, the one is going to Bloomberg. One of their top campaign people is reported are, are oh. going to Bloomberg. So well, that's that's a look, you mm-hmm. know. Yeah, no, I loved Ian Samuel online or Ian Sams. I don't uh-huh. know his was Ian Sams, and he he was like he was such a clown online. And the, mm-hmm. my greatest memory of him, I mean, he had so many. He had so many, and I don't want to duplicate some of the greatest hits that have already been mentioned Mm -hmm. in uh, our ecosystem. But the one that I haven't seen mentioned yet is, remember that picture of Pelosi and Trump sitting at the table, and Pelosi is standing up and, like, pointing at him, Mm -hmm. and, like, it's an epic picture, you know, she's she's epically uh, lecturing. She's like, listen up. The president, he's kind of, like... Hunched over. Like, rude boy, like, like maybe, like, a class or something in the teacher, (laughs) and people are, like, real into that. And then Ian Samuels, for whatever reason, thought it would be smart to take that picture and photoshop in kamala harris where donald trump is oh that's strange it was very odd and i mean i guess you kind of get where he like the thought process was something like i want kamala to be president and that's like that's trump trump's the president you're gonna fight pelosi (laughs) it's like well in this context the president is getting uh epically clapbacked by Pelosi and is doing bad things so as you just want to swap in Kamala to, to do that I want Kamala Harris to to fight the Democratic Speaker of the House it was mm-hmm. it was very strange um okay. he, he that went on for a while like it was being retweeted and everyone was like what and like they, he stuck that out for about four or five hours and then eventually I guess someone in the campaign was like Ian you gotta delete that you're just creating a- Ian come on dude <laughs> 
you know, thanks for the memories. Uh, it's a, uh, it, it was a good time. Uh, and, uh, you know, we should also mention, I think that Steve Bullock dropped out. Yeah, who? I you mean, know? come on. Uh, and then an, also another guy. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, we, we're not going to concern ourselves with the fates of the point zero zero yeah. percenters. Uh, and now Bloomberg is, is in it? Is he officially in it? He's or has he it. just threatened? He's in it. But he's he says it. he's not going to run in the first four primaries. Okay. So it's sort of meaningless, Same. I guess. But nationally, he's now polling. He, you know, he's just started being included in the polls, and he's polling at three point eight percent, which puts him above all the other like lesser thans. He's yeah. even was polling above, well, right about where Kamala is polling, but now she's gone. So yeah. he's in fifth place, you know, behind the big four: all Biden, right. Bernie, Warren, Warren, and now Buttigieg. And now Buttigieg. Those are in that order at this point. You know, I I sometimes uh, do the podcast left, right, and center. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is an NPR affiliate podcast run out of uh, Santa Monica, I believe, mm-hmm. uh, in California, uh, by KCRW, and uh, I am the left on there, uh, and the the guy who is the right is Rich Lowry, the editor of National Review, and I ran into him uh, when we were going into studio to record, and, and you know this was much earlier this year. And he said, you know, how do you think this is going to go, the Democratic primary? I was like, oh, I, I assume, you know, that the three that are in the running now, Warren, Biden and Sanders, will be the ones that, you know, stay in the running. And, and those are the it'll come down to them. And he said, I, I, you know, nope, I think that somebody, somebody unexpected is going to have a moment. Mm. And uh, and there's going to be a bump for somebody. And it's just going to be a moment, but it's going to be a narrative. And that's true. That has happened with Buddha Judge. Yeah, that was, that was a call. Yeah. Well, yeah, but what's a moment worth? I mean, that seems consistent with your, well, with yeah, your yeah, analysis. Yeah. But but uh, I didn't. I certainly didn't predict Buttigieg getting even the traction that he has now in no, Iowa no, of all no. places. No. That was not something I saw coming. Uh, pretty remarkable. Yeah, he's come out of nowhere for sure. I mean, he did run for the DNC chair. I mean, he's obviously That's a very true. ambitious. Uh, but but separately from that, only ever elected to the small town mayoral. Some people say. Uh, Pete Buttigieg, company man. What do you uh, think about that? Well, I mean, he's obviously got a really troubling background. McKinsey, yeah. and the military, basically just creating a resume to be maximal shithead and maximal, like, maybe I can make it in politics guy, you know? Uh, you know, not everybody, <sighs> uh, but some people do say, say, you know, Pete Buttigieg, company man. So that's just one thing to keep in mind. Uh, have Have you followed closely this discussion of his uh, college plan? I haven't seen you jump in on it, really. Oh, I wrote that piece that mm-hmm. just said the whole this whole college discussion vis a vis Pete and Bernie and Warren doesn't really make sense. Oh, because you know when you think about the cost of attending college mm-hmm. for like a f- you know from from sort of the family perspective mm-hmm. you got to pay the tuition true and you got to pay the the living expenses yeah also known as room and board mm-hmm. etc oh sure and for whatever reason the w- I actually I actually didn't include this in the article but if you <laughs> the historical evolution of of the free college proposals are very interesting and I think I did mention this in the the sent article I wrote a number of years ago because Everyone, it's like a lot of things on the left, right? You start with the slogan and then you try to fill it in. Uh-huh. So the one is free college. Sure. You want to have free college. And the, and it's like, okay, so 
what you just want to make the tuition zero well first off only public Mm -hmm. right for whatever reason you can't do private Mm -hmm. um which i always thought was interesting because like warren has taken this position yeah for instance she says we're gonna have tuition-free college Mm -hmm. and we'll go into more later but tuition-free college um but only at public institutions okay you know you're like well only public institutions why not private institutions and then what's especially weird is she has a child care proposal and the child care proposal is like it's like uh, child care will be free if you make below a certain amount, but then if you make beyond a certain amount, you'll pay as much as seven and a half percent of your income. Uh, but if you get beyond a certain level of income, of course, that's going to drop below seven percent because your maximum amount is going to be the cost of attending. The, I mean, oh, we could sure. go on. Yeah. Right. So one is like obviously you're not principally opposed <laughs> to means right. testing, but two. That proposal covers both public child care centers and private child care centers. Okay. And we don't have that many public child care centers in the U.S., but, you know, I don't know what the mix is, but, like, covers both. Yeah. The subsidy would apply to both. But for college, it only applies to the state-owned universities. Hmm. So why? Yeah. What, what is this all about? But putting aside this sort of bizarre, like, okay, the proposals are all over the place, Sometimes you like explicitly means test. Sometimes you celebrate how you're doing free college as a universal matter. Sometimes you allow the subsidies to only flow to the state-owned institutions, sometimes to privately owned institutions. Mm -hmm. We could go on, right? But what's especially weird is the evolution of this was initially people were like tuition-free, tuition-free, tuition-free. But then I think people kind of eventually like knock, 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 knocked on the door and were like, hey, you know, like there's also living expenses, right? And like right now, living expenses are a bigger chunk of the unfunded portion than tuition. Because if you go to a state school right now, even a a four-year state school, let alone a community college where this is even more true, a four-year state school... There's a certain tuition amount and there's a certain living expense amount. Think unsubsidized tuition amount. The state already kicks in about 60% mm-hmm. of the cost of the tuition. Like that's already taken off the table through state subsidy. Then you got to pay the rest of the tuition and the living expense. So the living expense is higher than the rest of the tuition. So like if you had to pick between them, like which one do you want to extinguish? The living expense because that's going to get you more money. Right. But for whatever reason, just sort of like the momentum and of the slogan and so on was like the tuition. Yeah, the tuition. That's the thing. That's the de- decommodification quantity. Um, somehow, still having to pay for your living expenses. Yeah. That's fine. Um, and then, of course, for community college, the tuition. I mean, uh, the uns. Uh, this the subsidized tuition is almost nothing. It's like a thousand dollars a year or something. Um, and then the living expenses are some eleven, twelve, thirteen thousand because, of course, you know, renting and you yeah. Know. But whatever. That's how it evolved. So at first it was like tuition-free college, tuition-free college. And then people were like, well, what about living expenses? And instead of going, okay, we're going to also just give every every student a check for mm-hmm. like 12 grand, you know, a thousand a month or whatever, a, a student UBI basically, so that they can pay their rent and stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Which is, that would be this sort of universalist approach. It'd be like universal tuition subsidy, universal living grant. Yeah because there wasn't like a whole lot of activist energy around the living expenses Mm -hmm. for whatever reason, like that just was not in the rhetoric. The living expense 
portion just gets covered the normal way, which is yeah. mean tested grants and loans, like Pell grants, etc. So we're having this debate in which people are trying to do like a universal versus means tested thing, but every proposal has a combination of universal benefits that apply regardless of income, which would be the tuition subsidy, and means tested slash loans for the rest. The difference is Buttigieg just kind of maintains the current level of tuition subsidy, which like I said, is about 61% for a four-year school. That's on average. Mm -hmm. And then says for that rest of the tuition and living expenses, I'm just going to beef up the means testing and not beef up means testing, but beef up benefits. I'm going to make the benefits much more generous than they are yeah. now. So in fact, go up the ladder um, and also, you know, higher amounts. And then for the Bernie Warren, they go, we're going to take the tuition subsidy from 61% to 100% of tuition. And then for the living expenses, we're just going to use means testing. And it's unclear to me, in fact, like as a percent of total of cost of attendance of like aggregate cost of attendance which plan actually subsidize more of that like overall like if you take all the college expenses for the whole country in a given year and all the public student benefits for a given year and you divide them what would the percentage be it's unclear to me which ones like actually cover a higher percentage or not um and categorically they're no different because they're universal benefits and then there's a means tested portion. Um, so, you know, I don't know. It's just kind of goofy. It is. I mean, uh, you know, you cover the intricacies very well. I think that they're fairly opaque to most people, which makes this a frustrating conversation. Well, um, yeah, and I should say, the because as I presented it just now, it's sort of like, oh, the Warren and Bernie people are kind of, you know, they're kind of off by trying to emphasize universality, even though they're not proposing a universal student benefit regime. But Buttigieg, he's trying to posture here like, I don't give any benefits to affluent families, millionaires and billionaires, but he's not getting rid of the 60% tuition subsidy, right? which already flows to those families when they go to state schools. So. so he's not doing his thing either. So it's like we're in this game where Buttigieg is like, I'm the kind of person who doesn't give money to millionaires and billionaires, but his plan does. And then Warren and Sanders are out here being like, I'm the kind of person who uses universal benefits, not means testing. But then they use means testing. And then everyone just sort of fights this symbolic battle that has no relationship to the underlying plans. Yeah. And you're just like, this is dumb. It is. It is. And it, it uh, has not inspired a lot of great discourse. Uh, it, it has been, I think, uh, overall like a net um, reduction <laughs> to the to the public understanding of yeah, it's of whatever. I what's mean, on the pass. table in terms of uh, dealing with college expenses and student debt, which are crisis level, I would say. Uh, but anyway, that's what's going on with Pete uh also, liz had a, a thing okay well yeah 30 for 30 this was on no, 30 no, for I 30 wasn't on 30 for 30 ESPN no 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 no, 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 no. docudrama no, series no no about how wrong i don't know if you wrote it i don't know the specifics no, i don't keep true. in touch but i think it was about how this guy he played a sport no. but his life was actually really kind of tragic and sad that is what all thirty for thirties yeah, yeah, yeah. are about. But yeah. I did not, I did not write or star or mm. participate in the production mm. of a thirty for thirty. I was on uh, Forbes thirty under thirty list. Oh. 30, 30 people under 
1230. Uh-huh. But okay. actually, there's like 300 people. They yeah, yeah. They there. do it sectorally. It's, uh, um, you know. Uh, so, uh, yeah. You're I was, on the media list. I was on the media list. You're only 28. So you have another year of eligibility. You yeah. might win next year as well. Probably not, but I, um, I don't think that I mean, could. I don't think you'll go. I don't think you'll decline in quality. So, well, no, but I don't think it's. I mean, you know, I think. Well, no, it is you, the top thirty under thirty. No, so if you no. remain, it's like it's like you know uh, tennis rankings or no, whatever. No, if you no, just no. remain as good as you are and no like upcomers like no, dis- dethrone no. you, you're gonna still be under no, thirty it, for thirty. No, because then it would be like the same thirty people every no, year. Some people age out, and you also have newcomers who come in and maybe knock knock number thirty off the off the ladder. I think it's like a. It was. It's like a hat tip. You know, like mm. oh, you're doing great at, at you know at this moment in time, and so very you know, deceptive. Very deceptive. No need to, you know, do do it all again. Uh, certainly uh, knew the minute that I saw that Matt was going to roast me for it. Um, uh, wasn't disappointed. Uh, was pleased that they listed my number of children. Yeah. Well, so when you get the nomination form, it's just like um, a, a Google Doc mm-hmm. where you're submitting answers Mm-hmm. And there's a part where they're like, you know, do you have children? So I'm like, yes. And it's like, how many? And I'm like, two. Oh, so that's a pre pre filled thing. They didn't just go, oh, well, she. No, they didn't ask me specifically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's just available on the form, and I, I don't, I don't know if once you put that in there, it auto populates. Well, yeah, obviously they intend to include that on the on on the like little stat sheet next to your age and your university and all that kind of stuff, but. I mean, I clicked through like 10 or 15 of the other ones and none of them had it. And so I just assumed that this was like, oh, you know, because, you know, we talk about them, you know, like, you know, it was kind of like a cute little (laughs) like nod. But I guess, no, I guess the other people just don't have kids. The other people don't have kids or maybe people skipped that part and were like, none of your business or. uh, I mean, it's not typical for an elite 30 under 30 uh, professional to, to have kids. So, yeah. So, I, uh, I, I mean, I was just like, oh, you know, two, mm-hmm. two kiddos, and uh, you know, and then that that auto populated, and then and then a guy got really mad at me. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. On on. Oh, that guy's always online, Twitter. always real pissy. You always gotta be concerned when there's the globe emoji in the handle. Yeah, that guy's a kind of creep, but. A man once said, "Anytime I see a globe emoji in a Twitter handle, I brace myself for a powerful take." <laughs> <laughs> it never fails. Yeah. It never fails. Yeah, there was a creepo online mad about the children stuff. He's like, "Why is why why is your whole life being a mommy?" I'm like, "I don't know. I mean, that is most of my time, man." I, you nah, know. He just is generally angered for cultural reasons. I well, mean, he also hates tell. Bernie. He was tweeting at Bernie, "Why do you hate the global poor?" He doesn't like Bernie. He basically, you know, I mean, he's basically like one of those like libertarian sex people. Oh, so the you know, sex like, nerds. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that's what it is. Uh, it's a it's a really fascinating thing, sex nerds. Honestly, I mean, there should be at least a ling on sex nerds. Well, I mean, there is. She did like the swinger. She's done like a number of them. I mean, those are all just flavors of the same. But she's not thing. focusing on like mostly when you think of people who have a lot of sex, you think of cool Chad Alpha people. But and that's true. Those those people do exist, and that is a class of people who are frequent sex havers. But there's also this other subclass of frequent sex havers um, who for whom sex is like a major hobby. Yeah. It's like, like a big part of their personality and like, it, it, you know, makes up a lot of what they well, do. Yeah, and there's and, all these rules. I mean, that's why I think like she doesn't do apps that 
that are just like this guy. Well, she might actually remember one. Her most recent. I don't know one if was it was bad, hers, man, on the but, cops. But whatever. she did the swing. But the swinger ones are definitely in that genre. Yeah, right? for there sure. Are all these rules and like they're very like they do the swinger conventions and like yeah. there's an immense amount of like logistics that go into it and so on. Like yeah. the, there's a ton of like work, labor, and materials that goes into arranging. Yeah. The uh, coordinated fucking. I mean, I yeah, uh, it's, like, it's <laughs> like an intense process, and then it's there like are, basically setting a codified up, etiquette, setting up a concert, like yeah. that kind of thing. Like you have like fifty people and like twenty uh, eighteen wheelers, and they're all like lugging <laughs> these big black boxes in, and then they construct this elaborate thing. You're like, oh my god, that's quite impressive. I don't know how you build a stage out of these boxes and whatever, but it's just like for like forty five year olds to yeah. like you know wife swap and shit. Mm. Yeah, on oh, like uh, like plastic no, beds. No, no, no. <laughs> Remember, no, that's no. what the yeah, episode was. Yeah, yeah, that's giving me traumatic flashbacks to DC Urban Mom Sex Forum. Oh yeah, that was a good one. That was a rough, I don't, yeah, yeah. rough episode. That one was a little. They were a little bit more ad hoc about it. I can appreciate. That. I try to keep that out of my mind if I can avoid thinking about it at all uh, possible. Uh, but yes, uh, thirty under thirty. Uh, truly appreciate it. Um, turned twenty nine this Friday. Is my birthday? Oh wow! I didn't yeah, know that. Yeah, December sixth, Saint Nicholas Day. Uh, you know, born uh, with the Christmas spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, I hope you guys all had good Thanksgivings. By the way, ours was horrible. Yeah, there was this lady at the convenience no, no. mart. Matt's trying to get into YouTube she, stardom now. She told me Happy Turkey Day. It no, created a, quite an event. Completely quite an event. made up. You said convenience store with a K. It was with a K. You know, they were being exist. a little cutesy about it. Doesn't even exist. Didn't happen. You were running around out in the woods again, as is your usual. I know. You know, actually, after that, I didn't even tell you this, but I kind of got a little turned around and I just sort of like exited to the nearest, like I kind of looked on the map and I was like, where's the closest road? Okay. And like, let me just walk in that direction. And then, but I had to like go through somebody's property or whatever to get there, like you know they had these big properties around there and this guy like pulled up on me in a truck and he's like you lost this like older man i was like oh yeah i got lost i'm just going the street here did like, you get in his truck he was like all right no no i don't know what he was if this was just coincidental that he was in his truck or if he saw me and decided to drive up um but it was kind of funny that's really dangerous so matt nearly got murdered um this is some hills have eyes deliverance it was an um, older gentleman. Yeah, well, it always is, is it not? You know, in these circumstances, uh, when when uh, naive, a woman with him in the car, an naive older lady. urbanites are murdered in in frightening country settings um, by dangerous country folk, uh, which is a very popular genre of American horror cinema. Actually, mm-hmm. Hills Have Eyes is the only movie I've ever walked out of. Actually, uh, I went oh, to yeah. see it in the theater. I left. I exited. Mm-hmm. Uh, I walked out of Frozen too. So well, I mean, Jane got tired. Mm-hmm. Well, nonetheless, uh, but we're it, not it talking about the reasoning. Well, but it wasn't like, oh, I'm tired of this. Yeah, you know, or I'm, I'm simply. Maybe she was. You know, maybe that's how she expressed it. You think she objected to the content? Maybe. What is Frozen Two about? It's about the colonization of the Sami people. You said that. So what's going? Well, do you even remember enough of the plot to summarize yeah, it? Yeah, the the Nordic uh, king, uh, who I think is Danish, um, though that doesn't really make sense because there there aren't any Sami in Denmark, as far as I know. Maybe he's Norwegian. I don't know. Um, he uh, 
you know, I mean, oh, you know, Olaf is a Swedish name, I think. So maybe they're Olaf's Swedes. Olaf's a snowman. What, was um, he the king? No. So there's this king and, and he, uh, you know, he made connection with the uh, indigenous people of the north and he convinced them, you know, hey, I'm going to build you this cool dam and whatnot. But like the dam actually was bad for, you know, their way of life and whatnot. And then he uh, killed the uh, the uh, indigenous leader in cold blood. Oh, wow. Um, and But this was before, you know, this was like the grandparents of the of uh, of uh, the two little girls, uh, Anna and uh, Elsa. And they didn't really know, you know, if this happened exactly. And even their parents didn't really know, but they, they went up and they learned through the spirits and whatnot that this had Ooh. happened. Um, and then we left. I don't know how they resolved this problem. Did they blow up the dam? I mean, who knows? Who knows? Wow. That's, that's a little bit disturbing, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, no wonder Jane wanted to to get out she yeah was they like, show this guy like you know just like basically lop someone's head off you know while he's on the ground basically she's like i thought i knew you also well, uh, it's not you know it's not her fault necessarily oof uh anyway uh uh aside from that all of that uh thanksgiving was really bad uh as predicted by me mm-hmm. uh not because of um you know politics though Mm-hmm. the the politics thing we we navigated expertly didn't even really come up mm-hmm. uh was just bad you know because uh you know you when your family doesn't really like you uh they they're very aggressive towards you so there you have it so there you have it hope your thanksgivings were better and if they weren't uh hope you feel okay putting all that behind you mm-hmm. uh in further news i have a chosen family well, we actually do kind okay, of have well. a chosen family. Um, By that, I mean my friends. Yeah, but we You have, would say, oh, well, we those have, are just your friends. And I go, but I've decided to call them my chosen family. But we, but they are more like family to us. Well, I'm talking about just the my followers on Twitter. Okay. Okay. Uh, well, I hope you guys enjoy being Matt's chosen family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you don't follow me on Twitter, please do at Matt Brunig and also okay. go to peoplespolicyproject.org and to my YouTube account, Matt Brunig. <sighs> Meanwhile, uh, Matt wanted to talk a little bit as we uh, enter, you know, what feels like the second act of the Democratic primaries, uh, the ethics and morality of endorsements. Okay, yeah. So I meant to go into this a while ago. And uh, it very uh, much frustrates me. And and the kick the kicking off point for this was uh, Mr. Addy Barkin, who I won't dwell on too much. Uh, I, I I don't know um, Addy personally, and I only know him from uh, this uh, you know Medicare for All activism. And you know obviously he's very effective at 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 doing that um, activism. But he's been in this sort of nonprofit NGO world, it seems like for a long time has deep ties with, uh, uh, what's it called? CPD. I don't remember mm-hmm. all this stuff. Anyways, you know, what frustrated me is he, you know, wrote this piece that was like, I'm endorsing Elizabeth Warren. And this was like calibrated to come out right before the debate. And it, it came on the heels of a Warren, spending two consecutive weeks basically indicating and backtracking from Medicare for all like her backtrack from Medicare for all was very fascinating because she initially she put out a thing that was just like 
here's a way to pay for it that doesn't do middle class taxes like she was trying to respond to that yeah and like and you could tell that that they were still freaking out because like a week or two weeks later they put out a whole new thing that was like oh by the way psych we're doing public option first and then as a second bill we'll do medicare for all uh, like two years later and like you could tell that that wasn't the initial plan because why wouldn't you just release that initially right. with your funding option? So they're they're like completely freaking out. And what was somewhat interesting about Barkin is in, in this sort of interim period, he gave an interview to the New Republic in which he was like, the public option is bullshit. The public option is bullshit. Like he had a very specific argument mm-hmm. that was like, look, the public option is going to be just as opposed by powerful interests as Medicare for all is. The only way we're going to get this passed is through some kind of mass mobilization. But people are not going to mass mobilize for the Public Option Act of 2021. They're going to mass mobilize for Medicare for All, something that's very interesting. And so, that you know, there's no reason to go that route. Like, you know, still pushing that line. Um, but then Warren came out for public option and then he immediately just sort of flips and is like, oh, no, that's fine. We will pass the Public Option Act of 2021. Um, and it's and what frustrates me about this, and it's not specific to him, but this is just the instance of it that motivated this sort of thinking. And I thought about this in 2016 a lot. And that is, you know, we have this political process that's supposed to have some kind of deliberative democratic content in which, you know, people are trying to generate information, they're trying to generate reasoning, they're trying to understand candidates, they're trying to understand which candidate is the best candidate on health care, which candidate is the best candidate for labor or education or whatever. And in doing that, you know, we had this process in which we have these sort of trusted gatekeepers, right? Yeah. Uh, the AFL-CIO and all of its membership unions, they're going to tell you, like, who's the labor candidate. And in healthcare, like, Addy had set himself up as I'm the guy who's going to tell you who's like the real Medicare for all yeah. kind of person. And in, in environmental issues, you have orgs for that, Sierra Club, etc. And we could go on and on down the line. And what is so frustrating sitting in D.C. and seeing this is the way this should work is they should kind of look at it objectively and say, OK, which of these candidates is the best? I'm going to endorse them because I want to communicate to the world this bit of information so that they can incorporate it and deliberate for themselves about who they want to vote for. But instead, the process is completely corrupted from the bottom up. And instead, what they do is they go, because I am trusted on this issue, Mm -hmm. I can use that as a kind of bargaining chip with the candidate in which I am saying I will lie to the people who trust me in exchange for something from you, whether that's a position, whether that's some promise that you'll give me something, whether that's even just sort of like attention mm-hmm. and like a consultation and, and that sort of thing, right? And it, and it's like, that's just super corrupt, right? Because if I go out into the, into the discourse and I'm trying to figure out who's the best candidate on this or that, I have people who are supposed to be the gatekeepers of that steering me to candidates that they know are not the best on it yeah with their leverage precisely being because you're not the best on it i have something to offer you yeah and so the whole thing is corrupted from top to bottom and it's very 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 obnoxious and you would you saw this so much in 2016 it was yeah, sort of it was all drove over your mind. and that one was really easy because everyone was hillary 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 
and you're like, like clearly Bernie is the stronger labor candidate. Yes, I mean, get, yeah, I mean, I, I did a piece on that at the time at the New Republic, where it was like it's really interesting that all the unions were coming out for Hillary, right? Uh, when it's very clear Bernie is a stronger labor candidate. So I talked to Rich Yazelson, uh, who's a great you know labor historian. And he was like, well, the unions are scared, you know, they feel like they have to line up behind the person who's going to be able to protect them. Well, yeah, and, there's, well, there's this machine politics like aspect in which, I mean, essentially they, 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 the, but part of the calculation here is we can't affect elections. That's basically, you know, it's like that, that's basically what organizations conclude. They go, we can't affect elections. Even these membership organizations, where yeah. it's like, aren't, aren't there tens of millions of union workers? You're telling me you can't swing an election? Nah. Right. We're not. I mean, we've got these members. They're paper members, I guess. They pay dues. Well, like, our ability to influence them is very limited. Right. So we just sort of throw shit out. Um, it's like, you know, so you just sort of conceded the idea that you're, uh, you know, able to affect anything and you just kind of try to pick the winner on the hopes that they'll be nice to you or maybe yeah. we'll just kind of, oh, I remember they did a good thing for me, you yeah. know, and like pay you back. And of course, labor's been doing that for decades and uh, never gets paid back. Uh, we just saw this in uh, Virginia in which there were millions and millions of dollars spent by, I want to say, like nine or ten different labor unions uh, to get the Democrats unified control of the Virginia state government. And then within the first two weeks, Ralph Northam was like, I'm not going to repeal the right to work law. Ralph. But hey, you know, we supported him. We supported him. So that's got to count for something. Um but yeah, that's what they do. And it's just it's just kind of, and it's not just unions. I mean, it's any of these organizations. It's just kind of obnoxious yeah. to me. Um, and it's one of those things that just makes you feel like this shit is so, so far gone in terms it's of corruption. It's very, very demoralizing. Like, because you, you could even as an organization, if you wanted to be like, look, on the issues, this candidate is the better candidate. So yeah. like, if you wanted to kind of do a dual sort of thing and be like, look, as an informational matter, yes, Bernie yeah. is a better candidate. But we believe for reasons unrelated to who is the strongest on labor. Yeah. For other reasons related to election, uh, uh, electability, and right. that sort of thing. We, we believe that she is the one that you should go with and, and vote for. You could, you could split that like that. Yeah. But, in, but that wouldn't get what you want to get. Right. Because she's not going to be happy in the case of Clinton with you doing that. Yeah. And you want her to be happy with you. So maybe she'll pay you back, even though she almost certainly won't because the Democrats don't pay labor back hardly ever. Yeah. Um, and you just see this stuff. And the Addy stuff is like the same. It's like Warren, the quid pro quo here is Warren has basically spent the last two weeks just completely retreating from Medicare for all. And, right. You know, right. And I want, do you think that's correlated with the Warren drop in the polls? I don't know. Who knows why these things happen? I mean, certainly, you know, the, the timing is is suspicious. Uh, but of course, you know, people will argue, well, the slide had already begun and that's why she did the Medicare for all thing. And yeah, the slide continued. But, you know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, oh, it wasn't the Medicare for all that caused the rest of the slide. It was this other stuff. But, I mean, one one hears uh, from insiders that Elizabeth Warren hasn't spent very much on TV ads while Boot Edge Edge has dumped tons of money into TV. And that is, uh, you know, by the lights of some uh, politicos who follow such things, a much better explanation for what's going on there. And I don't know how that lines up with, you know, trying to hold candidates accountable for their positions. Um, well, and we but, see these boomlets in any... Uh, yeah. we, in the Republican primary, we saw the boomlets with... 
Carson and Gingrich and Bachman, sure. and they, they'd had their little periods. Herman Cain, I think, at mm-hmm. one point. You know, voters get bored, media gets bored, media focuses. I mean, Warren's rise, such as it was, correlated with an enormous blitz of what you would call earned media, I guess, but like getting all this really positive press coverage and all sorts of papers and on, you know, TV and so on, which seemed to just sort of come out of nowhere. Like what was the, you know, it's not like she released new stuff. She released all of her papers five or six months ago. Yeah. Remember at the time, everyone was like, she's the serious policy candidate. And I was like, well, I I don't know. It's kind of goofy to release all your papers this early because what the hell are you going to talk about later? Um, (laughs) But she's in that position. Like, what? Yeah. What, what is there to say about war? And like, this is you know. Um, but there was that blitz, and then Buttigieg has had a similar kind of media period, and but they'll fizzle out and get bored. And of course, as he rises in the polls, there's more incentive to actually cover him. Yeah, like if he's uh, petering around two or three percent, petering. It's like, all right, you know, like yeah. why do I need to cover anything about him? But yeah. if he's up, okay, let's go into what he's been doing in South Bend. Let's look at, you know, it seems like black people in South Bend hate him. <laughs> so, well, there was know. that whole debacle um, with his Douglas plan. There's that. There's, uh, you know, uh, the school integration thing. There's the police in South Bend having a shooting that is suspicious. Yeah, um, yeah. And, you know, all well, this there's, kind of there's stuff. Just, there's a lot about him as a candidate that, make you know gives me pause in terms of trying to imagine a a future for him in the general um i don't think that for instance he would have success in the areas where clinton lost uh you know i do you really think he's gonna reanimate the blue wall in the midwest maybe i mean but it seems like what they were objecting to was in part simply clinton uh, and then in part what Clinton represented, which was this kind of technocratic takeover of the Democratic Party by, uh, you know, well, Clinton Democrats. It's hard to say, uh, you know, and I mean, and also with elections and and uh, this might be it's a whole other thing though I won't spend too much time on it. All this stuff about electability is sort of confused because elections are expressed as binary outcomes, obviously, win or lose. But in fact, they are these linear outcomes between 0% support and 100% support. And so it's completely plausible for you to say something like, this candidate, I think, will have a lower percentage of support, but also they'll still win easily. Yep. In which case, because you know, this is the thing you run into all the time, I feel like with some of these discussions is, is pe- someone might be like, you know what, Biden would get uh, 55% of the vote you know, according to recent polling and so on and so forth. Bernie, only 53. I was like, well, you know what? 53 is winning, buddy. So I don't know why I care about this extra 2%. What am I trying to do here? <laughs> um, but like that, that that's sort of part. So the discussion to me gets really clouded because I think you could definitely say Buttigieg is, you know, relative to Bernie or Biden going to drop, you know, three points mm-hmm. in Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania or something. Mm-hmm. Right, he's gonna he's a negative three relative to that baseline, but is negative three gonna lose? I don't know. How's how well is Trump gonna do? Yeah. You know, like so. I find like people are speculating on stuff like this, and they're not even really, they don't really even have the right frame of mind for how to approach it. You know. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds about right. Uh, there was there was one other thing I wanted to uh, raise here. Uh, and that is, you know, for those of you who are on Twitter, 
uh, you might have seen some uh, notable, quotable uh, tweets uh, that were about, um, I mean, I don't know how you would put it, emotional labor is essentially... Yeah, there was an emotional labor thing on Twitter for a while. Uh, It was actually a new one like a couple days ago. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And so that one said something like, hey, you know, here is a good uh, kind of... Uh, template for how to respond to a friend when they reach out to talk to you about their problems, but you just can't do it right now because you're 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 already dealing with your own stuff, or you're you're helping someone else who's in crisis. Um, and the template was like, "Hey, thanks for reaching out. I'm already dealing. I'm at capacity." Yeah. It was um, an out of office reply. It was like a it was like a word for word what you would think of as an out of office reply. <laughs> Um, and it's like, I'm you know, out of mental office right, right now. I'm, I'm, I'm at capacity dealing with my own stuff. Uh, you know, could you please check in with someone else? Because I just don't have this, you know, the capacity to hold space for you at the moment. And I, I mean, I imagined a friend sending me that and I'd be okay, well, all right. I guess there's that friendship. Uh, well, here's the thing. I wouldn't even know what uh, to say. Don't reach out to people for emotional support. No, um, false. Ever. No, that's no, no, the no. Problem one and the problem solved. No. Um, no. Really, that's the whole thing. Actually, that's point one and 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 point ten. No, no. I mean, plan. you know, it's very, very, very important to have people that you can reach out to uh, for emotional support. And part of, in fact, what sustains those relationships and makes them nourishing is this the certainty that when you reach out, the person will be there, right? So they sort of don't work uh, if you if you don't have that certainty, you know? Well, what you want to do, okay, is you want to think about quantities here. Okay. Okay, so there are hours of emotional labor, and you want to distribute those quantities in an equitable way, right? So, and what we could do is we could create a kind of like central hotline and on one, one number you would call in would be the number if you needed emotional help, right? Sort of mm-hmm. like a suicide hotline, but for less serious things. And the other side is the call in because you're a helper. Okay. Okay. And they're different numbers just to keep it clean. Okay. So you call in a number, Oh, I need help. And you're routed to someone who's on the other side, who's going to be a helper. Yeah. Okay. And, that way, it's one, it's sort of distributed out among all the different kinds of people. Mm-hmm. And you could also set up a system where it's like, look, if you did two hours, it's like a time bank kind of system. Yeah. If you did two hours of helping, you get two hours of emotional, you know, you can call in on the other number yeah. and get, get help. And that would be a sort of like a tit for tat, like you only get what you put in kind of time bank thing but we might also want to be somewhat redistributive to understand some people have higher emotional needs than others and so we could give extra points to so they um, you're, you're talking like a hotline where people assign you a friend mm-hmm, yeah no, uh, not no. a sign of yeah yeah, uh, yeah yeah that's right yeah I can't, you're routed I can't to that. you're routed to a stranger who's ready to absorb emotional hours that doesn't seem ideal to me I, you know. and you can give back and do that as well. And then someone else who needs emotional help will talk to you. I don't know. That that doesn't seem good to me. And we basically just put in shifts like you do at work. Uh-huh. And then it's sort of clean and, you know. I don't know if you want to exchange money. I think that can be a little tricky. But 
I just never know what to do with the kind of emotional labor discourse. I don't know what to do with people who imagine their relationships to be kind of market transactions. I mean, they're they're not supposed to be I uh, think, tallied. I think that what's going on here, I mean, there's a lot of things going on here, but yes, in general, and, and what's funny is this was a discourse like five or six years ago on like uh, Twitter, r- remember when people yeah. were doing, and like, I don't know, we just sort of lost track of that. Now it's come back uh, for anyone who was online back then. Uh, it was like, pay me for my labor and also pay me for my tweets. That, that, was, I, that a was a big thing. Um, and like, how am I supposed to pay you? I don't even know. Uh, people would like um, put their PayPals in their yeah. bios and be like, pay me for tweeting. And I'd be like, no. No, I'm not going to do that. Um, and in this case, oh, what was I getting at? I think... People are trying to basically gesture in the dark, but with the unfortunately impoverished concepts that we have in our discourse towards saying something like um, the emotional burden is unevenly distributed and that's not fair. That's true. Yes. And especially along gender lines. Okay. Yeah. Also true. So, you know, but... They sort of then go off the rails and 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 sort of create this elaborate set of rules and so on instead of trying to I don't know sort of figure out some sort of cultural nudging <laughs> or revolution to you know they transactionalize it and and bring it into some notion of like labor exploitation instead of just like oh this is another quantity of inequality that maybe we should we should think about yeah. Um, it, it instead becomes a yeah like I'm an exploited worker and gets kind of put in the wrong category of thinking about ways in which things can be unfair um right, right, right. basically when it, when i think that the actual right response to that observation is the 70s feminist response which is yeah we need to do consciousness raising essentially and and kind of you know encourage men to you know be able to have more emotional conversations or be more in touch with their feelings or however you yeah. want to put it be more uh, you know, I guess, uh, you know, cognizant of of what's going on inside of them so that they can have those kind of, you know, conversations with the women in their lives and so forth. Yeah. Um, or just I, sort of norms wise, make, make it seem like it's less, uh, you know, uh, you know, emasculating or, or, you know, if that's the issue, right? If the issue is not like teach them how to feel, but it's more like, teach them to feel comfortable not being uh, like that this isn't something only women do right right they uh, don't you know you <laughs> don't have to be stoic and distant yeah, to, yeah, you know yeah, maintain yeah. your your masculinity um etc cetera, etc cetera. and you know in fact it's good and beneficial in your relationships uh to to be more emotionally available and supportive uh you know i think those are reasonable ways of uh handling it uh, and, and, and then, I, then I think the other issue is that, you know, there's no recognition of the fact that a lot of relationships just kind of like are unfair. I mean, it, you know, in a snapshot period, right, you'll have one friend who's going through a lot and the other friend's doing okay. So from the period of 2012 to 2015 or whatever, it probably is unbalanced, and it might be unbalanced in different ways for each person. One person might need more emotionally. The other person might need, you know, different kinds of input, more time, you know, on the phone or hanging out or whatever. People go through periods where they're lonely and they need more attention. 
Uh, and people go through periods where they're down. People go through periods of mental illness. People go through major life events where they need a lot of help. Um, and so, you know, at any given period, any relationship, a marriage, a friendship uh, is going to be uneven. And that's okay. You know, but you, you look at them in the grand scheme of things. And what you have to ask is not like, is it uneven? You have to ask, is it uneven in a kind of callous and cruel way? Uh, or or inconsiderate way on behalf of one person in such that the unevenness indicates a generally kind of abusive mindset and yeah, approach yeah. to the relationship. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I think that's exactly right. It's a very tricky line between uh, this is an inequality born out of unequal need. And right. Of course, you know, the communists, as they say, from each according to their ability to each according to their need. Yeah. There's mm-hmm. uh, a tension or or maybe a little bit, uh, it's hard to identify crisply the difference between this person is needier and therefore should receive more resources or yeah. whatever, however you want to think about it. And this person is not needier, but they are exploiting me. Yeah. That uh, that gets to be very tricky, especially in these very hard to detect emotional types. Because yeah. like, how do you look into someone's head and know? Are you is this serious? Are you really like you really have problems on this level, or it, are you just taking advantage of the fact that I will respond to you? Yeah, you know? yeah. And it's obviously, hard. abusive relationships take on this tone with men being uh, mostly men i guess yeah being like oh no i just you know i don't know they want to theorize their own like emotional problems and why they lash out and do something physically violent or verbally abusive or something um and it's like oh it's it's because of a weakness i have and you should be sympathetic to that yeah that's very tricky i don't know how to navigate that that's something you because you want to be receptive to people who have higher levels of need, but you don't want uh, also to enable people to be exploitative by pretending to have higher need than they really have. That's true. So, I mean, it, you know, it's complicated. It is very tricky. Uh, you know, you, you basically, instead of operating from a script, you just kind of have to know the people in your life. Yes. Yeah, yeah no, <laughs> certainly uh, a, uh, a form text uh out of office reply yeah. is not uh, does has not does not solve this uh no. tricky problem so and then there, there was another uh another one that was like uh do you are you in the proper headspace right now to receive information that might hurt you yes this was this was interesting because this was on the other side of things yeah. this wasn't how do you reject a request for need but this is how do you submit a request for need so yeah in many ways i feel like they're very together and you could imagine you could imagine them going together. The yeah. first person says, are you in a, a good headspace? And then the other person does the out of office reply. It's like, uh, um, hey, thanks for reaching out. As a matter of fact, uh, I don't have the headspace to receive information <laughs> that might hurt me right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and then you can like imagine a whole conversation like this that was basically like- <laughs> Just all corporate like bots. PR. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. It's like when you're on a website and like the little chat windows there and it's like, hey, we're available for live chat. And it's yes. very obviously a robot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They just uh, pop it up automatically. Yeah, yeah. And it's and like. And then you hit it and then, it, then like there's like 
four or five seconds of loading and then yeah. someone from india pops in yeah uh it's that but that's how all your friendships are now you just <laughs> you call, you call into matt's hotline and you read from a script and you're like hello are, are you in the proper headspace right now to receive information that might hurt you and they're like yes i am in the <laughs> you're like, oh god oh no Ugh. it's so dystopic so dystopian uh and i, I <laughs> uh, when i first saw that i thought if someone sent me that are you in the headspace to receive information that might hurt you they're about to send me a tweet where someone shit talking me uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like no don't tell me if someone's shit talking me. I don't want to know. Yeah, don't ever. That's a novel. Don't that's ever a novel send me tweets. Situation. Uh, yeah. uh, but anyway, just something that I have my eye on. Like you said, it just seems like the discourse there is is, is in a category error. The um, um, yeah. To close it out, I wanted to uh, wanted to mention uh, some events in my adopted home country of Finland. Oh boy, uh, Swomi. Uh, you call it swomi i yeah i I do i don't know if that's how you actually pronounce it okay Um, well fins on the podcast sound off in the Uh, comments we do have some finnish listeners yes we do i know because we collect the vat for their country and submit it to the local tax authorities so we're help supporting the finnish welfare state well that must be the biggest part of the month for you every month is i do i love to send the vat uh, off to finland Mm. um you know i i put uh, like glitter in the envelope I don't know if they like that. I assume they do. Um, you got to assume. They haven't complained yet. So, um, no. So, some very interesting events in the, the land of, of Finns. Um, actually, it's not the name of the country, as far as I know, is not meant to be suggestive of the land of the Finns. Mm-hmm. But instead, Finn means swamp in some sort of ancient English uh, bullshit uh, uh, dialect. Oh yeah, so we we is. still call swampy areas the fens. It is swamp. It is swampland. Yeah. Um, Remember in Boston, there are the fens. And swomi also means swamp. Yeah. So that okay. would make sense. Um, it means like swamp country or some shit like that. Anyways, uh, a couple of months ago, they mm-hmm. have a postal service, sort of like we have. It's called Posty. Very cute. Mm-hmm. Uh, very cute name. I feel like we should rename ours Posty. Yeah, Apple Store as uh, welfare system. And uh, it's a state-owned enterprise, uh, you know, just like ours. And um, I don't know if they own 100% of it. Their postal service is profitable, unlike ours. So, you know, they got their shit together a little bit more. And they always run these interesting stories about the postal service. It's like, they also mow lawns now. It's like, it's kind of neat. Yeah. I don't know if they still mow lawns. They'll shovel your, you know, it's like the Homer Simpson thing when he Mm -hmm. takes over the sanitation department. Yeah. Like just like super like on steroids sanitation department, but it's like the postal service. Like we'll bring you your meals and we'll shovel your snow and we'll mow your lawns and whatever. Anyways, a few months ago, the, uh, the management of Posty decided that they were going to move 700 sorters, so people who sort the mail, I, I guess, um, from one collective bargaining agreement to another. And the way, you know, in Finland and, and the sectoral countries work is the unions come together with the employers and they uh, hash out a number of contracts that, you know, ideally cover the entire sector, or the entire kind of a, a type of employee, mm-hmm. right? So you'll have like a, f- uh, I don't know if they actually have an agreement that's exactly like this, but you'll have a fast food worker contract. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, every, you know, whether you're McDonald's, whether you're Taco Bell, whether you're mom and pop fast food, you all follow that contract, mm-hmm. right? But one of the sort of complicated things that this creates is you have, you know, I don't know, dozens and dozens of contracts that cover 90% of the workforce and all these different kinds of job types and whatever. But sometimes this may be a little unclear which contract applies to my workers. Mm-hmm. And so th- this was, I guess, sort of the genesis of this dispute. For a very long time, these workers had been covered by a basically a kind of like unique to the post office postal sorting uh, mm-hmm. agreement. Um, and then the management said this seems more like uh, it should go under this other agreement, which covers like newspaper deliveries. Okay. Um, but this other agreement, the wages are like 30% lower Uh-oh. on average. So they move those 700 workers over to that other agreement, uh, essentially cutting their pay by 30%. Setting the stage for disaster here. And the postal workers were not happy with this. Yeah. Um, and, you know, after, uh, you know, some back and forth and so on, on November 11th, mm-hmm. this is based on reports that I read on the, the public broadcaster from Finland. The postal workers walk out. We're on strike. No more, no more mail, whatnot. He said. And, you know, this goes on for a couple weeks. And, you know, things are not resolved on this issue. And so on November 25th, two weeks later, you get the solidarity strikes. Now, solidarity strikes in the U.S. are not, are not legal. Mm-hmm. They are illegal under federal law. Are they going to arrest you? But they are they they will they will put you in jail. Well, the NLRB will you're put you in jail. Still striking. Um, yeah, I, I think it's worth trying, even though it's illegal, depending on the situation. Um, but uh, they are illegal, I guess, in Finland, and they you know immediately go for the uh, the jugular, mm-hmm. and the jugular. If you're smart about this, is you go let's cut off all of these sort of transportation network mm-hmm. type things because that'll really paralyze everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's shut off the ports. No more ships coming in and out. Let's shut down the airlines. They have a state-owned mm-hmm. airliner in uh, Finland called Finnair. Let's uh, shut down the buses. Let's shut down the rail. And then we'll just, you know, just shut it all down, basically. And uh, so the 700 postal workers get their wages cut. You have 60,000 workers uh, in these other industries. Just shut it down. Gone mm-hmm. strike. This, uh, as you might expect, resolves the strike rather quickly. Yeah. Um, like, oh, okay, well, I guess we'll just stop. We, 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 we won't cut the wage. How about that? Mm-hmm. Okay. They don't cut the wage. Now, in the process of all this, of course, it's sort of weird because they have a center-left government in Finland right now. Uh, the uh, Social Democratic Party is the head of the coalition with the center party and the left alliance and I think the Swedish People's Party. Um and in this process, there's some question of like, what the hell's going on? This is a state-owned enterprise. The SDP is in charge. What's going on? And I guess there was some some lying, mm-hmm. perhaps, Uh-oh. about uh, what did you know and when did you know it about these uh, wage cuts? Mm-hmm. And I think the they have a minister of state ownership uh, in their government, which is kind of cool. Um, and she was like, oh, I didn't know they were doing this wage cut or, or something like that. But apparently she did know that they were doing this wage cut. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the prime minister also, I guess, kind of got looped into this somehow mm-hmm. by, uh, you know, perpetuating this lie. Oh, we didn't know they were doing this kind of yeah. thing. 
Anyways, the minister of state ownership resigns a few days later. Prime minister resigned, which was today. Yeah. And I find this so fascinating um, because, you know, this is does not happen in the U.S. And it's just it would just be wild if it happened in the U.S. context. Yeah. You have 700 workers in a postal sorting facility who get a wage cut. All the ports, all the rails, <laughs> not the ports, the rails, the trains, the buses, the airlines just shut down. The high-level cabinet official resigns. The pr- prime minister, <laughs> i.e. the president in the U.S., resigns. <laughs> and uh, this just wouldn't happen. Don't try me. Yeah, it's like, look, we're in control here. Yeah, um, labor's we, in control. We control this place. If we want to shut it down, we will. And literally, we, w- we will just snap our little fingers and nothing will go. And then Turn the just, lights off, put the chairs on tables. That's Nothing's it. happening. That's it. Within days. Like this postal strike had gone on for a couple of weeks. Oh, we're going to have a long battle. No, we're not. The it's going to be puts resolved. The my package in the pile to go to my house is not getting fucked on my watch. <laughs> this will be gone by, <laughs> this will be done by the end of the week. Or yeah. there, there will be no shipments. Period. There will, not just shipments. The shit won't run. There will be no bus. You won't even be able to get to work. The whole thing will shut down. Guess what? You're on strike now too, bitch. <laughs> you don't want to be on strike too bad. Uh, no, but you know, they have labor solidarity. Mm-hmm. It seems like people, you know, are generally supportive of this kind of thing. And I mean, obviously cutting pe- cutting someone's wage by 30% is kind of severe. Like if you, if you thought that the wage level was too high mm-hmm. and you thought, well, look, we have this newspaper delivery people who are paid much less and that seems to be a much more reasonable sum or whatever mm-hmm. then you should negotiate the agreement down to bring them t- into parity like over time you yeah. just you know if someone lopped 30 percent off my income I, that would be a pretty yeah. severe problem um and so you could see why people might be sympathetic to it but and this is how i want to close this out i hate to go back and forth necessarily on how radical are the Nordic countries, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Are these really socialist countries? Are these, are these dread social democracies? Are these really neoliberalism on steroids as one fucking moron in the U S uh, described them? You know, we can have these debates all days long. Oh, they're actually freer than us. The heritage foundation puts out the report. Finland actually has a more free market economy than we do. Yeah. And this shit is all wrong for a number of reasons, right? So, in this case, the amusing one is this notion of, uh, well, they don't have a minimum wage. So, yeah, they don't have a minimum wage except everyone stops working if you try to cut someone's wage. Um, but we could go on and on. The point I want to make here, whatever you think about their level of radicalness on a, on a global, uh, like a hypothetical scale. Yeah. If this happened in the United States, the American left which is often very skeptical that the Nordics are, you know, remarkably left-wing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Would be, would be high on this for decades. Yeah. This would be an epic-defining event be, uh, in the West. Documentaries would be made. Oh, my God. Uh, you, we talk about it all the time. Oh, yeah, the postal strike. It postal would be strike. like the one time we won. And 
Because you see this, because people will write these labor history books. I mean, there's that Eric Loomis sort of, mm. yeah, I know. But he wrote this book that's like the 10 strikes that define America. And like, whatever, I don't know the thesis of this book. But it's basically like, here's an excuse for me to like tell labor stories. Yeah. And it's like. Which is a good thing to do. Whatever, it's fine. But it's like, this shit is more interesting than basically everything in that book. And this was like a a mundane like run-of-the-mill shit i mean like uh, the prime minister resigning is quite exceptional yeah um but like you know like this is just like you know this is like a pretty not out there like finished labor action yeah this is you know like someone said this is just tuesday in finland right um which i mean is overstating it obviously but just keep that in mind when you want to be like oh that's you know those social mild democrats there's no and it's like yeah you pull off a strike like this anywhere yeah anywhere where have you seen this anywhere in the u.s anywhere this thing you know it's so far down the spectrum that if it happened in the u.s but they would just the left would be creaming themselves they cream themselves over occupy which is just like you know a few fucking a hundred or a thousand people sitting in a fucking square <laughs> I was like, how about shutting down all the ports and rail and shit for a few hundred workers? How about that? I'm sure pulling that off. That's real solidarity. Um, So just keep that in mind. Remind yourself of this. Don't get also, I think part of the reasons people underrate them on the radicalness scale is because, I don't know, they just... It's not like hammers and sickles and well, they're not and like we talked about last time. They're not countercultural about it. There's not an like, aesthetic just thing. Like ordinary yeah. like IKEA house like people. like rail thin with banana with like bandanas. Right? And, no, like, no, no. They're with they're, their masks. They're, they're like, just like oh, we. I'm just going to stay home today. Yeah, no, they're like no moms and moms and dads and like you know have normal. I mean, they do have radicals over there, of course. Sure, you, of course, but, everyone has radicals, but, it, but never you know just by definition, radicals right. can't be the majority of right, the population. Right. So it's like if you like. They have. I, the look, ideal... I think they should go further than they have gone, oh, like wow. left wing wise. I think they, I think the Nordics can go further, for sure. But in a sense, this is what success is going to look like. Not like this is a perfect setup, but yeah. what success is going to look like is you're going to be very uh, unmoved, unimpressed by mm-hmm. the kind of people who shut the country down. Yeah. They're not going to be setting up the Paris Commune. It's going to be, you know, fucking Auntie and Johanna, mm-hmm. you know, Our who friends. are just like kind of a little, a little fat, you know. Got a couple kids. And they took, just stay, uh, they just stay home from the port job. Took the box with the first baby and the money with the <laughs> second one. And you're going to be like, that's not radical. And it's, it's like, yeah, it is though. I mean, yeah. you know, that's, that's what it's going to look like. Regular people are just going to be like, oh, not working today. Yeah. Um, I mean, they have the ideal situation where labor radicalism uh, expands past the radical circle. Uh, uh-huh. you know of people who are trying to uh you know get it adopted and enters into the mainstream right and that is the ideal situation yeah. in fact Which, that's what has to happen and it's so mainstream that's like you don't even blink your eye like if someone came to you and sarah nelson the head of the flight attendants union actually tweeted retweeted my tweet on this and was uh-huh. like this is how you do it because she basically had a similar idea yeah um which is like well to stop the shutdown why don't we just stop 
air travel yeah in that, the United that States. did appear to work yeah that seemed to put a lot of pressure on them and like that's the way you do it for sure and that's how she she tweeted it she said this is how you do it yeah. but in general if you're like oh there's this strike in this sector i have an idea what if we uh shut down all the trains yeah people would be like what that doesn't even have anything to do with the post office what yeah. does that have to do with this sorting thing what is this yeah. like to even get them to that next level but like apparently it's reasonable enough in this country and with their labor movement as developed or or whatever as it is to just be like oh yeah of course we shut the trains and ports down yeah that's what we do so so there good you stuff go. fun stuff keep that in mind love finland's love them don't like the Finns party um but keep up the good work and uh i think there's going to be a woman prime minister oh interesting that's going to replace this guy um so you know it's also a win-win for gender equality and uh you know thanks for tuning in this time uh keep your eyes on this space for upcoming news we we i think you're gonna have some big news for you soon uh, but until then, have a happy holly jolly holiday season, whatever you celebrate. Uh, and if your family is garbage and your holidays are terrible, uh, this is probably a pretty dark stretch for you. Uh, so hang in there, take care of Listen yourself. Listen to our backlog of podcasts. And uh, you know what it says in the Get in my sign. DMs. Well, I, you know, I don't know if, you know. You I'll can, send you whatever pics. I mean, you know. You can have pics of our kids, I guess. Um, you know, but what it says in the theme song is true. Uh, we're on your side. So, you know, that can keep you warm. Happy holidays. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.